Amen. If you remain standing for our scripture reading today, uh, which we are jumping back into the book of Hebrews. So we're in Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse 13. If you want to follow along on the screen or your own copy of God's Word. Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something that is greater than themselves, and in all, uh, in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of promise the unchangeable character of His purpose, He guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have a strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now jumping down with me to uh, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. You can be seated. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, sending your son, Jesus, and for all that he accomplished for us in his time here on earth. Father, I thank you that as he has risen and is reigning, God, that he continues to intercede on our behalf. Father, we trust in you today and we lean fully on you in faith, trusting you are who you say you are and your promises are sure and we can come to you today in faith. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in uh, August, toward the beginning of the series, when we were in Hebrews chapter 2, I mentioned how I, uh, I really wish my dad had a trolling motor on his boat that had a GPS uh, anchor button that would hold him in place. That that would be a really cool feature to have. Uh, and we were talking about that because Hebrews 2 warns against drifting, that even though, even if you're uh, in a in pretty calm place, you can drift off track pretty easily. Well, today uh, our passage brings up uh, an anchor, and so I want to tell you about a much, much stronger anchor than that uh, GPS-enabled trolling motor. It's on a ship called the USS Truman, which is an aircraft carrier. Uh, The United States built 10 of these uh, in the Nibbets class, I think that's pronounced correctly. Uh, And this is the USS Truman. And so before I tell you about the anchor of this ship, I want to show you uh, a, a brief little video of of, an anch- one, of the anchor being released in this ship. So I'm going to show you this real quick. Hey! 
All right, so there's the anchor. And uh, just to put that thing in perspective a little bit, that, that ship, the USS Truman, is over 1,000 feet long. You, it can ho have about 80 aircrafts on it at any one time. It's manned by over 5,000 people that are on board that ship with, you know, with all the air and you know, ship naval and different people that are part of that. Uh, that anchor that you're looking at right there is 60,000 pounds. 60,000 pounds. The chain that's holding it up, every link in that chain weighs 350 pounds, every single one of them. And uh, they're made up of these links that are uh, about 90 feet long, and you may have seen the little white uh, parts coming down that chain. Uh, anyway, the whole, the, whole thing is, oh, the whole chain is over 1,000 feet long, and so the chain, just the chain, weighs over 200,000 pounds, the full, the full chain. Crazy, massive, massive anchor. Uh, look, when we looked back in August, when I was talking about that, that GPS thing, I, I did that. I said that because our, we rented this party barge, and they gave us this little 10-pound anchor. And I'm just, I'm just, I want to take that little anchor and just stand in front of that, that massive anchor and compare them. I mean, this, this is the biggest anchor I've ever seen. Apparently, actually, the newest aircraft carriers have gotten more efficient. They don't need as big of anchors. So I didn't use them as my illustration today. I went back one generation because it's got a bigger anchor. And that's a big anchor, a really really big anchor. Uh, I, I say that, uh, oh, oh, and the other cool fun fact about this is it has two of these. <laughs> There's one on each side. So, you know, it's, when, when the waves are going, if this thing needs to stop, like, it can be really, really sturdy. Apparently, the strategy is actually the, the, the chain itself. They let out seven times. I read way too much about this this week. <laughs> I'm giving you way more than you need. They, they let out seven times the depth of whatever they're in. So if they're in 50 feet of water, it'd be 350 feet worth of chain because really it's the chain that holds this thing in place as the, you know, everything's going. It's incredible. That's, that's just a size I can't get my head around. It's a really big anchor and it will hold a really big ship still no matter what is going on. It's not moving. So today uh, we, were, we were out of the book of Hebrews for one week last week so we talked about missions. Today we jump back in and, and the book of Hebrews wants to encourage you today. It wants to, to build you up. It wants to hold you fast because it tells us about an anchor that is even more secure than the USS Truman's two anchors put together. This anchor is way more steady than that. The, the word, the language here is an anchor of the soul. I love that. And I, I think that probably everybody here has lived long enough, and by that I mean just over like two years, <laughs> to recognize that we all need an anchor of the soul. Uh, we, we recognize that our, our soul, this inner part of our, of our lives, is, is so fickle. It can be, we can be just up and down with whatever's going on in life, the ups and downs of circumstances, how people treat us, whatever's going on. And if we don't have something to anchor us that's as sturdy as what the USS Truman has, then we are going to be tossed by every wind and wave and all kinds of storms that are going on, internal, external, external, and whatever else may come. We, we need something to hold us tight, something to be sure and steady. We need an anchor of the soul, and we find that in Christ. Whatever else we may be going on in our lives, we need, to, we need this anchor. Uh, as we've been going through Hebrews this fall, we've been talking about how Jesus is better. Over and over again, Hebrews keeps pointing out how Jesus is better than this, 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 over and over, that He's better than everything 
in this world. And so this morning, I want to encourage you who do know Jesus in this way about how great Jesus is. In Christ, our salvation is sure forever. In Christ, our salvation is sure forever. If you were here two weeks ago, Hebrews, the end of Hebrews 5 and into Hebrews 6 is a very challenging passage. It really pushes us to make sure that we aren't uh, fake believers. That if we are just pretending to be Christians and not, that's a very dangerous place to be. Because you could go through life pretending to be a Christian and yet get to the end and recognize you don't know the Lord at all and He doesn't know you. And so it warns us about being immature because if we're hanging around immaturity, it looks a lot like unbelief and neither one of those places is where we want to be. It encourages us to grow in our faith, to be more mature in the faith. But then we get to the end of that passage, and this is a great encouragement. He's warning them, a group of people who are struggling, but even them, he tells them in Hebrews 6, 9, Yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust, so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for His name. So he's saying, I'm challenging you, but I know your lives. I know that you are saved. And so then he continues through Hebrews 6 and into 7, and he wants to give them an encouragement. He's challenged them, but then he wants to give them an encouragement. And that's my goal today. In Christ, our salvation is sure forever. Hebrews 7, if you take some time, I encourage you to do so, take some time to go through this week. It's pretty detailed. There's a lot of, of very complex details that are worth diving into. Uh, but I appreciate this about the Bible. Many times it gives you these kind of red flags or, 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 or you know, markers saying, hey, here's the, here's the main point. And one of those things are some key words like consequently is what the ESV says. Other translations will use the word therefore in verse 25. And he's, he's saying, all right, here's the, here's the main idea. <laughs> here's the point. So whether I want you, I encourage you, take the time, dig through the details. They're good. But then here's, the, here's at the end what he's trying to get across. Verse 25 uh, of Hebrews chapter 7. Consequently, or therefore, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since He, has al- since he always lives to make intercession for them. He is able to save to the uttermost. That's what He wants you to hear. In other words, in Christ, our salvation is sure forever. That's what this passage is about. It's about how great Jesus is And because of His greatness, our salvation is sure. If you're a Christian today, if you're a believer, if you have put your faith in Him, then the encouragement here today for you is how great Jesus is. And that your assurance, your confidence rests not in you, but in Christ and in how great He is. If you're here today and you're not a Christian or you're unsure, still this passage holds up Jesus to you in such a way that we pray the Holy Spirit begins to stir your heart and soften it so that you believe and have saving faith that you can count on forever. Either way, it exalts Jesus so that we can see Him and find our salvation and our assurance in Him. What this passage tells us about Jesus is that He is eternal or permanent. He has no beginning and no end. He's, He's eternal and He is perfectly holy. Our perfectly holy high priest and king who offered himself up, willingly offered himself up once and for all, and always lives to make intercession for us. That's the, the kind of the summary of everything that happens in chapter 7. He's eternal. He's permanent. In the Old Testament, uh, God's people had uh, priests 
that was their way of being connected to God. And so a, a man, a part of the Levite tribe, uh, would come and he would make uh, sacrifices to connect people to God. And so Jesus is telling us Jesus is better because He is eternal. He is permanent. He'll never have to be replaced. We don't have to fear the priest dying. And so then we don't have somebody to represent us before God. He is set. He is sure. He is eternal. Which is why Hebrews 7 connects him to a man named Melchizedek. That's the detail worth diving into on your own this week. You can find him in Genesis 14, a very mysterious uh, uh, person who only shows up for a few verses and then is quoted in Psalm 110 and then Hebrew, here in Hebrews 7. And you say, Mel who? Great. Dive into it a little bit. Uh, we, we don't know exactly and people interpret this different ways. My best interpretation of this is that this isn't actually uh, the Son of God or God in the flesh. Melchizedek isn't. But he is presented like God in that we know nothing about, we don't, we don't hear of a father or a mother. Uh, he is a king. He is a priest. So he's those things together. And so Hebrews and Psalms, Psalm 110 look back and say, this is the kind of figure that's going to take for us to be saved. Somebody who is eternal. And that's what's important. We need somebody who is eternal. Priest after priest in the Old Testament would die. And so we said, this, this isn't sustainable. We can't be connected to God by somebody who dies. What are you going to do the moment they die? I'm not connected to, you know. We need somebody who is eternal. And that's who Jesus is. And not only that, but he is perfectly holy. If the priest has sins of his own, then he can't represent you before God. He has his own stuff to deal with. We needed somebody who was perfectly holy. Listen to the way Jesus is described. Uh, it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinner, exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. Our, our salvation is sure, it is guaranteed, because our priest is holy. He is perfect. He's not going to mess up. He's not going to have one day where he forgets to show up to work, and so we don't have a way to talk to God. He doesn't have a, a blemish or a chink in his armor that somehow is going to mess up our connection to the Father. Nobody else could do his job. He is the perfect and holy high priest, and he gives us assurance. He gives us confidence. Our salvation is sure because he is perfect, and our salvation is sure because of what he did. He offered not lambs or goats or rams. He offered up himself. The most gracious, merciful act in all of human history was when Jesus Christ, the only perfect, perfectly sinless being to ever walk this earth, the only person who didn't deserve to die, offered up his life as a sacrifice. Priests offered animals up to that point, but Jesus, being our great priest, offered something infinitely better. He offered up his own life. So in Christ, our sins are paid in full and always will be. Our salvation is sure because of that. Because as Christians, if you were a Christian for 10, 20, 30 years, you're not going to get to the point where you go, I, I sinned one time too many, and now what Jesus paid isn't enough. I need a little bit more. <laughs> You'll never get to that point. He offered His sinless life. So your debt is paid in full. So your salvation is sure. Another comparison He makes between Melchizedek and Jesus is that He's both king and priest. So it says about uh, him in verse 2, Melchizedek, he is first by the translation of his name, king of righteousness. He's also the king of Salem, that is, king of peace. So our salvation is sure in Jesus because he is ruling and reigning over all things. He's ruling and reigning over 
every single thing. If he was priest, but yet some things were out of his control, then you would have no way to be sure of your salvation. If Jesus could be dethroned by something stronger than him, if he could be uh, uh, just taken over by another force, then we would have no assurance. Because if that was possible, then you would just be on pins and needles. But he is king. He is sovereign over all. Nothing and no one can ever dethrone Jesus. And so our salvation is sure in him. He is king and he is priest and he always lives, always lives to make intercession for us. Intercession is maybe not a word you use all the time, but what it's talking about is he's our connection. I've already said that a few times. He's our connection to the Father. When he intercedes for us, what he's doing is he's looking at us. He's looking at little, little Philip and all his mistakes. He's saying, he's mine. He's saying, God, the Father, this, this one's with me. This one's with me. He's presenting us to the Father, not because of our righteousness, but because of His. He, God the Father looks at us as, his, as He looks at the holiness and the perfection of His Son, Jesus. So we are presented in His holiness and His righteousness. That's the only way our salvation could be secure. If it was, if it was Jesus and how many good things I've done this week, well, what happens if I fall short? I would have no assurance of my salvation because I'm going to fall short every week. Every day, every moment, God looks at us as sees us the righteousness of Christ. That's what it means. He intercedes for us. And He didn't just do that once. He continues to present us uh, His righteousness on our behalf as we sin. He continues to present us to the Father. And as He does, He is praying for us. He is praying for us. I, I don't know if that strikes you as much as it has hit me this week. I, I get encouraged, so encouraged when people let me know they're praying for me. I know that's, I, I get that probably more than most people. It's a privilege. I, I thank you for that. Pray for other people too. But I really appreciate your prayers for me. Kathy Burry sends out a message on Sunday evenings to a group of team, a prayer team here. And every week I get to be on that list. Me and the elders, we're on that list. And man, that just so encourages me. Because I know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, there is no way I would still be standing, much less preaching, if people weren't praying for me. I know that. And you know what's amazing? I, I'm encouraged. And, and you guys are people of faith. You know, what's, you know what's amazing in addition to that? So is Jesus. He's praying for me. And He's praying for you. He is, he is going before the Father, and He's pleading for His kingdom, His will to be done in your life. Jesus. The Jesus, the Savior of the world, is praying for you by name. That doesn't hold you up. Nothing will. It's amazing. He's praying for us. Our salvation is sure because Jesus is praying and He'll never, never stop. He always lives. It says He always lives to make intercession for us. Jesus is our eternal, our permanent, perfect, holy high priest and king who offered up Himself once and for all and always lives to make intercession for us. Is, isn't Jesus great? Isn't He wonderful? Isn't He marvelous? That is where we find assurance. Not in how strong your faith is, but in how strong your Savior is. We find assurance not in our willingness to get up and go for it today, but the fact that Jesus already went up and accomplished it. It is finished. It is done. We can find assurance because of how great Jesus is. In Christ, our salvation is sure forever. That, that little phrase is, is just amazing. In, the, in verse 25, uh, the ESV says it this way, He is able to save to the uttermost. If you're holding a different translation, 
NIV says completely. NLT says once and for all. Uh, New Revised Standard says for all time. That anytime you come across a word that English, we have a hard time translating. You know it's a good word, right? Read them all and just try to soak in what's, what they're trying to get at there. Uh, this word means completely, leaving nothing out. When Jesus saves us, he, he, leaves us, he saves us completely, fully, entirely. Uh, our salvation in Christ, he, he doesn't leave a part of our lives untouched. There's no part of your life that He's going to not save. He's saving you completely, fully, 100%. Uh, if you were restoring an old car, you wouldn't put a, a, a new engine in it, but, but not touch the transmission or the leather seats, right? If you, if you were fixing up the, the exterior of this car and you were, you were making the, the new, giving a new paint job and making everything perfect, you, you wouldn't leave the taillight busted, right? You would, you would fix them all. You'd restore them all. And that's what Jesus does for us in our salvation. He completely saves us. Day one, you have the righteousness of Christ. He's, God the Father sees you like He sees His Son. And from that point through eternity, He is making you more and more like, your, like His Son. He will make you perfect. He will make you whole and complete in His time. He saves you completely, fully. But you also notice that word says, uh, in different translations, it talks, some of them reference time, like the NLT says, once and forever. And I think both things are in view here. He's talking about fully save you and save you forever. And so thinking about our, our salvation, many times we talk about salvation as a past event, which it was. That if you are a Christian, there was a day when you became aware of your sin like you would be aware that you're drowning. Like you're in the water and you can't swim and the waves are too high and you're not going to make it. If you're a Christian, there was a moment you recognize that and that's the day that Jesus dove in and he pulled you out of the water. He saved you. When we talk about salvation, that is a picture of salvation. He pulls us out of the water and puts us on the ship. You have made it. You are saved. And that is good. But if salvation was only that one day, you know what would happen? You know what I would do? I'm, I'm too clumsy. I'd fall back in the water, right? If salvation was just what Jesus did that day, I, I, you know what? I might, in my sin, find something appealing in the water and jump in on my own accord. Or might just, something might just happen to me. The way I, salvation is, yes, Jesus, in the past, if you're a Christian, He pulled you up out of the water and put you on the boat. But you know what He also does? He saves you today. He is before the Father praying for you today, which means He has wrapped a life vest around you and He's tied a rope to you and says, Stay. <laughs> Don't move. Don't move. He is, he is saving you today. If you did not have that rope, if you did not have that life vest, you, you would lose your salvation. You, you, would, you would jump off the boat again, and you'd be right back where you started. But salvation is complete. It is all time, once and for all. He has brought you out of the water, and you're staying on the boat. That's what salvation looks like. If Jesus only saved me once at the very beginning, I would have, and, and, and then left me to figure it out on my own, I would have zero assurance. I would have zero assurance if all I had was one day when I was eight years old. But I have today a Savior who is praying for me before the Father. That's what gives me assurance. He, he still knows me and He is still saving me today. He jumped in, He saved me, and He put a rope around me and tied me. And because of that, in Christ, our salvation is sure forever. He is able to save to the uttermost. And I love the phrase after this. He says, those who draw near to God through Him. What does it mean when it says he, he, he draws us near to God through Him? 
Who is it that Jesus saves completely and forever? It's those who draw near, those who have heard the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that He lived perfectly in our place, died for us and resurrected, defeating death forever. And then after hearing it, God's Spirit moved in our hearts and we said, yes, I need Him. I need Him. And we turned away from sin and believed in Jesus for salvation. Those are the people. And it was only possible because we drew near through Christ. He drew us near to Christ. And again, it wasn't only a past event. Listen to the way it says, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near. Present tense. Those who draw near to God through Him. If someone has been, if someone's truly a Christian and Jesus has rescued them out of the raging sea and He's put them on the boat and He's put a life vest around them and put a rope around their waist and tied it to the ship so you can't fall off. If someone's truly a Christian, you know what they're not going to be doing? They're not going to be trying to wiggle out of the rope and take the vest off and jump back in the ocean, right? If they're truly a Christian, they're going to enjoy being able to talk to the captain, spend time with him, get to know him. And they have peace that even if the worst thing happens and the ship bounces and they get thrown, they're still fine. They still got a rope, but they're not trying to get out of the rope. As Christians, if God's truly changed our heart, we, we are drawn to him and we continually are drawn to him. Now, our, us, our hearts, our emotions, our, our feelings today aren't what save us. Jesus saves us. The rope saves us. But our hearts are transformed that we want to be near to him. And that, that desire is the evidence. It's the fruit that we see in our lives. He, he saves to the uttermost those who, are, who draw near. Present tense, who draw near to God. So that, that same part of what, what it would look like to become a Christian is also the challenge to you today. To draw near. To, draw, to don't try to jump off the boat. Don't, don't run away from Him. Draw near to Him. Draw near to Christ. Draw near to, to walking with Him. Spending time with Him. Dwelling with Him. Dwelling with His people. Abide in Jesus. Draw near to Him. And the nearer you draw, the closer view you get of the anchor. The, the, the better view you get of what's holding you to the ship. I mentioned that 60,000-pound anchor of the USS Truman, and I, I promised you one even more secure, and we read about it in Hebrews 6.19. We have this, a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. In Christ, our, our salvation is sure forever, and in Christ, our hope is anchored in heaven. In Christ, our hope is anchored in heaven. Because of what we already said about Jesus, He is an eternal, permanent, perfect, holy, high priest and king who offers up Himself once and for all and always to live, always lives to make intercession for us. Because of that, we have an anchor in heaven. We have an anchor in heaven. Part of chapter 6 we read earlier this morning, uh, just, just a bit ago, promised, talks about this promise, this oath, that God made to Abraham and then said it was impossible for God to lie. He, he doesn't lie. He can't. He's perfectly, perfectly holy. And so that's a reminder to us that God can be trusted. God can be trusted. What he says, what he does can be trusted. He made a covenant with us and he will never break his covenant. And so of all the promises of hold on to, this is a good one. We, we have an anchor of our souls. He wanted to tell you, that you God doesn't lie and he's promised you an anchor. So you got an anchor. You got an anchor. Now, I, I've been using images of ships and waters and 
life vest and anchors, because those all things go together. But I, I love that, that Hebrews is more committed to theological accuracy than multi-layered uh, uh, metaphors. <laughs> you know what I mean? So he describes an anchor. But you see where the anchor is? It's not down in the water. This anchor is up in heaven. So he kind of mixes metaphors. But you'll forgive him because it's theologically so good. You'd rather your anchor be there, I promise. Listen to what he says about this anchor. This anchor goes up. He says, it's a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Now, if you know your Old Testament, that, that inner place behind the curtain is a reference to the Holy of Holies, this temple that could only be approached in certain ways at certain times. Certain priests could come into certain places, but this inner, inner part of the temple, the Holy of Holies, only one man could go on one day a year. The high priest could go into that. And behind that curtain was the Ark of the Covenant. And so before Jesus' before death and resurrection, the way that people approached God was through this mediator, through a priest who would go in and only, they, only one man could go once a year. And the, the Ark of the Covenant had this mercy seat on top. And so that represented God's presence, the fullness of God's presence right there. It was a sacred moment, sacred space, incredibly powerful, important day, the Day of Atonement. And when Jesus died and rose again, He didn't just go into the Holy of Holies that represents God's presence. He actually went to God's presence, God the Father's presence. He, he went actually before God to the thing that rep represented. And so what He's picturing for us here is taking that 60,000 pound anchor, Jesus just throws it over His shoulder, goes into the Holy of Holies, puts it right on top of the Ark of the Covenant, takes that 350-pound per chain link chain and wraps it all around that, that Ark so that it is, it's not going anywhere, picks up the other chain and come bolts it to you on the other end. Bolts it to you. That's, man, that's good news. Your, your, your salvation is sure because your hope is anchored, like not going anywhere. Not going anywhere. And I say that based on verse 20. We just read verse 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that entered into the inner place behind the curtain. And then verse 20 says, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. You know, you know what a forerunner is? Somebody who runs before other people. I had to look that up in the Greek. No, I didn't. You got that, right? Forerunner. So this was a military term. Somebody had to go. Uh, this is like the, like the scout team or the, you know, the, the reconnaissance group. They went before, and the only reason they're going is because everybody's coming afterwards, right? Jesus was a forerunner. He went into God's presence on our behalf as a forerunner because you and I are following after. Amen. And it is as sure, no, 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 way more sure than if a 60,000-pound anchor and a 350-pound per chain link anchor was attached to that spot. Like, it's not going anywhere. Your anchor and my anchor in Christ is more sure than that. That's the hope we have. That's the hope we have for all of eternity. And that's what we cling to. Alex mentioned last week that he's going to serve with a ministry called Esperanza, which is the Spanish word for hope. And uh, you may have noticed Alex's coffee business is Confidence Coffee. And that's his way of taking a jab at the English language, where sometimes we use the word hope like wishful thinking. But here in the Bible, the way the Bible talks about hope is not wishful thinking. It is a certainty. It's not something we can see yet. I can't see heaven. I can't see my spot that's being prepared there. I can't see Christ. But it is as sure as if I could. More sure 
because it is guaranteed. Going through life without hope is miserable, absolutely miserable. Maybe, maybe you've been to that kind of place before, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, where you feel hopeless, and it is a miserable place to be. When this writer is writing to this group of Christians who have been through all kinds of stuff, we're going to see the persecution in later chapters that they've suffered. They've been through awful, awful things. And he wants to encourage them. He wants to build them up. He wants them to have a strong encouragement because of a hope that is sure, that is like a humongous anchor and chain that is holding fast to us. If Jesus is your, your greatest treasure, if you believe in Him, if His Spirit has softened your heart to the point where, where you desire Christ and He has come in and He has washed you clean and He has made you one of His children, if He's done all that, your hope is secure. It is certain. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Your hope is secure. It is certain. And that is good news today. A moment ago I said that if you've been truly saved, you wouldn't be trying to wiggle out of the life vest and detaching the rope. You'd be hanging out with the captain. Same way, here with this image of an anchor, we'll read in verse 18, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that was set before us. If we have come to God and He is our refuge, He is our salvation, then, then we are being encouraged by the incredible grace of God to hold fast to Him, to not lose hope, to not, to, to not let go of that, to don't give up on it. Your, your salvation is secure, but it can be tempting with all the terrible things and circumstances and maybe good times where you just forget to think about God. It can be tempting to not hold on to hope. It can be tempting to not hold on to hope. So he's encouraging them to do the thing that God's already at work in our lives. If you are, are a Christian, you know his, his, Jesus has promised us God never lies. Then you can hold on to his promises. His promises are sure. And so if you, you feel like you're losing hope in this world, then, then come back to the promises of God. Come back to what He has told you over and over in His Word that you can hold fast to and let that build up your hope in Him. Hold on to Hebrews 13, 5, which says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. If you're getting discouraged about just supplying for your family and meeting daily needs, hold on to Matthew 6, 26, when Jesus says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? When you're, when you're tempted to, to lose hope, thinking your sins are just too many and too much, be reminded of Psalm 103, 11, which says, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. When we're tempted to lose hope, we feel like we're weak and unable to go on. Hold on to Isaiah 40, 31. They who wait for the Lord, and they shall renew their strength, and they shall mount up with, eagle, with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They should walk and not faint. When you're tempted to lose hope because your situation is just too hard and too much, then hold fast to 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17. It says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction 
is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Hold fast to that. Say, take that, devil. <laughs> take that. This light, that's all you got, devil? This light and momentary affliction? I'm going to a glory that far outweighs anything you could throw at me. The anchor holds. The anchor is sure. It is steadfast. So hold on to it. Hold on to it. I've told you that this this anchor, it's more secure than 60,000 pound USS Truman anchor. But you know what's, if if I was in charge on that ship and the U.S. Army, Navy thinks, is, is glad I'm not in charge of that anchor. But if I was in charge of that anchor, as much as I would want to know about the part going in the water, I'd want to know about the other part of it. You know what I mean? Because what I've just told you about Jesus and this anchor in heaven, if all that's true, but the other end is just just loosely laying across the bow of our lives, then it doesn't matter how strong that anchor is, then it's just left on how strong my arms are or how strong a cleat I got to tie it to, right? It's got to be secure on both ends or else I have no hope. And God's Word tells us it's, it's secure both ways. Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Jesus is the one that's going to bring you along. He has attached that to you so securely. It is firm, not just in heaven, but it's secure on you. So He's telling you to hold fast to it because God's got a hold of you. Draw near because He's already drawn near to you. Keep going in what God has already done in you. I love what John Piper says about holding fast. He says, What Christ has bought for us when He died was not the freedom from having to hold fast, but the enabling power to hold fast. The strength in your spiritual arms, so to speak, only comes from Christ. We have, he says, uh, what, we bought, what He bought was not the nullification of our wills as though we don't have to hold fast, but the empowering of our wills because we want to hold fast. Christ has saved you, He has changed you, He's transforming you, and your hope is secure because it's rock solid in heaven and it is rock solid attached to you. So draw near to Him. Your salvation is certain. In Christ, our salvation is sure forever. And hold fast to hope because in Christ, our hope is anchored in heaven. If you have put your faith in Christ, that's the hope you have. It's certain. And if you don't yet know Him, it can be certain as soon as today. Repent and believe in Him. Let's pray. Father, it is so encouraging, God, to turn to Your Word and be reminded of the truth of how great You are. God, I I know that personally, day to day, I get discouraged by how weak I am and how distracted and how incompetent. And yet I come to your word over and over again and I'm reminded and encouraged at how great you are. God, our assurance today rests not in what we've done, but what you've done and who you are. And so God, I pray that for all believers in this room, our faith would be strengthened. We would hold fast. We would draw near, not because we've got the power to do that, but because of seeing you, our perfect, perfect heavenly father who sent his perfect righteous holy son to be our eternal high priest and king forever god may we may we be reminded of your goodness and of your grace and may we cling to you today father i do lift up if there are any in this room or who may listen to this later who don't yet know you and their faith faith is uncertain 
God, I pray that they would cry out to you first and foremost for your salvation. That your spirit even now would be quickening their hearts and desiring you that they've never desired before. God, may they plead with a Christian brother or sister, maybe even today, that they would be taught to come to understand, to come to know, and come to believe in you for salvation. Because God, a hopeless life is so miserable. And we thank you that you've offered us hope in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.